In January of 2003, a young couple with their five-year-old son enter into a law firm in Nebraska. They claim to be the parents of a man calling himself John Teeter, a time traveler from the future. The 38-year-old man had stayed with his alleged family for almost three years, sharing information with others on the internet, then leaving in the year 2000 to return back to 2036 but not before acquiring a very specific IBM computer that was needed to save the world. Join us tonight, if you dare, as we explore time travelers like John Teeter and others on Nightmares on the Lost Highway. From a child born into this world, we are taught what to believe. Close-minded, we become fearful to be deceived. Still, we desire to know what lies beyond that locked door. The art of the storyteller, conjuring tales of legend and lore. History hidden, lost knowledge, things forgotten and the unknown. These are the things that direct us and will set the tone. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway. Time travel. Time travel. This is, of all the things that we're going to talk about, time travel is one of those ones that I really, I mean. Is it a stretch for you to believe? You've seen Back to the Future and the Avengers and all this. How does time travel work? Could you go back and could you kill Hitler and could you stop the world? What if you meet yourself? Uh, Yeah, if you meet yourself, if you step on a butterfly while you're looking at dinosaurs, do we all (laughs) turn into lizard people? (laughs) I mean, how does, I mean, there's so many. It spirals out of control very quickly. Yeah, it, it's my understanding that the Avengers model of time travel is, is pretty much the most accurate in that you could change the future, but it are wouldn't you, be your future. Are you saying that because Marvel owns it or Disney? Well, at this point in time, Disney should have some sort of thing that just pulls money straight out of my bank account. I think they do. It works oh, that way Dis- for me. <laughs> Disney Plus. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. So maybe I'm just biased because I'm a Marvel, Star Wars, you know, Disney guy. I yeah, don't know. Yeah. But time travel i mean it's just such a a big pill to swallow yeah and i guess maybe smarter minds than mine need to be part of this because i am not a physicist i'm not a uh i I don't think on those levels eric but well and as a disclaimer as we have said we are not professionals or experts in this by any ways but we sure love to bring up some weird controversial subjects now uh some of this obviously there are things we could touch on that we've already talked about our last episode Philadelphia experiment does involve time travel a little mm-hmm. bit and uh, Belick in, in his time spent in the future. I don't think we're going to rehash old ground there. No, nope, we kind of touched on that. I do feel like talking about time travel in that episode sort of led us into this episode. Absolutely. So you could say it was fresh on the mind or whatever, but uh, I know you especially, you had come in possession of a certain book that sort of started us down this road. Yes. So. Maybe. And that's why I'm going to kind of focus on John Teeter and his story tonight, because as Bill said, I I stumbled across the book and in all honesty, um, this book has sold on the internet for thousands of dollars. And let me first put in there. No, I did not pay thousands of dollars (laughs) for the, if I had a thousand dollars, I wouldn't pay it for this, but I got a lot of books at an auction. Uh, just sci-fi kind of stuff that I, I like and, and dig all the time. But and in the bottom of this, I found this really obscure book, and that led me down chasing the rabbit into the rabbit hole. So 
I think, uh, you know, Eric, Eric, you're going to focus on John Teeter. However you, however we pronounce that. John Teeter. And then, and I, I have some, some other, you know, time travel related stories. Uh, one of which isn't just not too far from, from good old hometown here. So good old Missouri. I couldn't help but to pursue that one a little further. I'll kick us off. January 2003, there's a young couple, as stated, uh, with their five-year-old son that enters into a, a law firm in Nebraska. Now, they claim to be the parents of a man calling himself John Teeter. He declares that he is an alleged time traveler from the future, the year 2036 to be exact. They stated this man, uh, their alleged son, used a time machine traveling back from the year 2036 first to 1975 and then forward to 1998 where he met his parents. For nearly three years, this man, calling himself their son, lived with them, interacted with them, including his younger self to the point we were kind of discussing. So we have not only a meeting you know, you see the Back to the Future movies and, you know, films and all this. It's like, oh, never come in contact with yourself. Don't be around. This guy is kind of allegedly technically living with his younger self for almost three years under the same roof. All right. So you're sitting there, minding your own business, watching TV. There's a knock on the door. <laughs> there's a there's a gentleman there on the other side of the door, I'm presuming roughly your age. Hmm? And he says he's your son. Hi, Mom. I'm home. The future. Do you just let him in and let him stay with you? I think it took a little bit of coaxing, but he knew details that amazed and surprised his parents. We're just going to say his parents, you know, alleged is a word we could totally use throughout this entire, but the mom actually answers the door. And after a short period of time, you know, he's stern enough, but very polite and knows facts that only direct family members would know. As a mom, I'm trying to understand, here's a guy in front of you saying, I'm your son. And of course, you've never, I can't say you've never met him, but at least at this point in time, you've never met this age aversion. As far as you know, you've never met him. And so, yeah, to Bill's point, it's like this total stranger shows up at your door and, hey, you know, I'd like to come in and, and let's talk, you know. But this story has so many weird twists. Uh, like I said, I chased the rabbit down the rabbit hole. So, uh he, he openly chatted and discussed with his mother and father, uh, as well as later on the internet and the world, who he was and why he came back in time. And essentially, it's to save the world. Now, I see that in, in the little bit of, of research I did on him that he posted on Art Bell's post-to-post <laughs> message board, which I didn't realize was the thing. I didn't one, realize that was. And two, yeah. I love the name of that, obviously, the play on coast-to-coast. Coast. <laughs> I didn't, I mean, I was... I would say I was an early adopter of the internet and I didn't know there there was such a thing back in those days. And in many of the things you go online and you read about John Teeter, uh, it'll just say he posts on forum boards. So there, I, honestly, it was kind of unclear even with the book and using it as reference, but I did come across that, you know, Art Bell, love art, but you know, it, he is uh, definitely brought into this. Now, I also want to state John Teeter while he was here, like I said, he, he was very public about why he was here. He shared with people, total strangers on, on the internet. He clearly states, and I quote, my goal is not to be believed. As a matter of fact, I know most will not. For five months straight, he went to the internet and shared his work, his business, his mission. 
Now, the parents had decided to come forward after this period of time looking for closure, and literally they were moving away to get a fresh start. Um, This was after their alleged uh, son, John Teeter, returns back to the year 2036, and they're like, we just have to close the book on this. We've got to move forward with our young John, um, five years old, who obviously is still living with us. Now, John Teeter said, um, this was very weird to me. I came to obtain a special computer. Now, that computer was the first portable computer. It was 1975. It was an IBM 5100. A weird twist of events. John Teeter's grandfather was actually involved as part of the creator and inventor worked on this project. So there's a direct kind of family lead. So this is his grandfather, so his father's father. Now, at the time when this 1975 state-of-the-art machine came out, you could buy one for a mere $19,500 retail, suggested retail price. And, and the device you carry in your pocket is a million times more impressive Absolutely. than that. <laughs> uh, now, this computer had the same memory, to put it in perspective, as a Commodore 64 that was released seven years later. So it, at the time, truly was a state-of-the-art computer. It's so way ahead of its time. It had a, for all you tech buffs out there, and Bill, I, I know you've got <laughs> IT you know, background, but a 1.9 megahertz processor, uh, a five-inch monochrome display, and an internal 2,000 kilobyte tape drive. Wow. Uh, it ran BASIC or APL in languages. And APL uh, was a 1960s programming language that actually stands for literally a program language. APL, a program language. Well, no the, kidding. The original stuff wasn't too, uh, you know, creative. Again, the basic programming language, we called it basic. So. Basic. Yeah. <laughs> now, John stated this particular computer was literally the key to the future and saving it. He was part of a military division uh, in the future that was assigned to travel back in time and retrieve not only this, but any type of special items lost to history. Uh, it was almost like they were trying to restructure after Great War, a museum of sorts, uh, to bring that history of mankind, you know, full circle. Now, here's another interesting fact. This John Teeter, whether you choose to believe or not, must have sparked some interest with somebody in NASA. Because there was a newspaper article, actually the New York Times, in 2002, the, and the title got me, it said, NASA is boldly going on eBay. So, of course, I I had to read this, but it was for buying parts off of old vintage computers and for none other than the exact same 1975 IBM 5100 computer. NASA stated old tech chips were needed to test rocket boosters that they were developing. So they were buying the same computer that John Teeter had preached and held the high glory as the key to saving the world years before eBay, or now NASA goes to eBay and starts buying this computer. Little secret fact that almost, almost no one would know. In one of John Teeter's forum posts, he says it, meaning the IBM 5100, has the ability to read the older IBM programming languages in addition to APL and BASIC. We need this system to debug various legacy computer programs in the year 2036. Unix has a problem in 2038. 2038 is an essential date, he declares, similar to that that would be known as the Y2K bug 
that we might, some of our listeners might remember, <laughs> that when the year 2000 hit, everything computer-based was going to shut down and it was catastrophic. And obviously, as we know, here we are still today and barely a hiccup. There's a, there's a really good King of the Hill episode that talks about that. I saw that one. That is actually <laughs> good. However, th- you know, regardless, this precise time, he states that in 2038, essentially this Y2K bug would going to hit. He states that in January 19th, precisely at 3.14 a.m. and 7 seconds in the year of 2038, that's pretty precise, um, regardless of how you look at this, uh, this precise time, the computer systems with 32-bit systems won't be able to code because they count beyond 2.15 billion. However, as a special backdoor design never revealed to the public and only known to a select few who helped develop the system, hint back to the grandfather who helped design the system, this particular IBM 5100 had that ability. John Teeter, however, did know this, and he shared this in one of his internal posts. He states, IBM never published that information because it would have probably destroyed a large part of their business infrastructure uh, in the early 1970s. I would bet there is someone out there, however, who can do the research and discover that what I am telling you is the truth. There must be an old IBM engineer out there someplace that worked on the 5100. Guess what? There was. There was an engineer by the name of Bob DeBach. He came forward and for the first time went on record stating it was true and why they had designed it that way. There was a system 360 emulator hidden inside the IBM 5100. That gave the programmers access to the old 1960s, the huge mainframe computers that literally were built in rooms, in this first portable compact computer. How convenient for a time traveler to have all of this information and the first fold-up suitcase computer, if you will. Now, John stated this feature would allow them to drop in old legacy codes. While he was not clear, the theory was there would be a problem in the future with computers that needed this old tech from 1970. But the system mainframes were so large and unobtainable, this was the first option for them to get that in a compact version. However, since this old 1970s tech was hidden from mostly the public and anyone else, it would allow them to access that through this IBM 5100 link. That's a lot of specifics. Again, you know, his grandfather was supposedly involved with it. Maybe he came across some of his grandpa's old papers or something, but it it's just weird. He's, now, I, I had never heard of John Teeter before, you know, the first time we talked about him. And I think it was when you were showing me that, or talking to me about the book. Mm-hmm. So, one, you know, obviously, like you, it was kind of a shock that this How can unassuming this be? book is, you know, worth thousands of dollars. Yeah. But then, like, the story itself is just kind of crazy. Oh, it, yeah. And it, it goes on. But I know you've got some things to share, so I'll let you kind of jump in here with some other non-John Teeter versions. So, since we're so good about naming names and pronouncing things around here, <laughs> uh, the first story I have is Paul Dynock. We're going to go with Dynock. A uh, Swiss-Austrian teacher living in Geneva in 1921. He came, became sick, became afflicted with what they called lethargic encephalitis, and the disease left him in a coma for over a year. And that, as if that's, you know, not bad enough. That's, that's pretty intense for a whole year. Uh, when he woke up, he began to record an astonishing story in his diary. And basically, while he was comatose, he had entered the body of Andreas Northam, 
Now, this Andreas Northam lived in the year 3906. Wow. So, so somehow, uh, Dinoch had, had, let's say traded consciousnesses maybe, which I think we've, we talked about that in the Philadelphia experiment episode a little bit. Uh, but in 3906, physicist Andreas Northam had a near-death experience due to an accident. And upon awakening from his accident, he was now Paul Dinoch. Uh, he spoke an unknown language for the time, which obviously, you know, so many thousands of years in the future, you know, maybe the Standard languages reason. we have today don't exist. Right. And, and basically for this year that, that Paul was in a, was in a coma, this Andreas Northam in 3906 was, was him. He was, he was living through him. So this is going to get me a little confusing. So Andreas, if, if we'll, we'll kind of lay out the names again. Andreas is, is the resident of 3906, the man from the future. Paul is, is the man who's in a coma in 1921. So Andreas could not recognize his friends and family. That was automatically documented. He didn't know who anybody was around him. Obviously, if you wake up from some sort of traumatic injury and you can't recognize the people around you, one, you know, the old getting hit in the head and amnesia and all of this. He suffered from visions of past events that he had would obviously have not have lived through, uh, had trouble reintegrating into the society of 3906. He felt like he didn't belong. None of this made sense to him. And obviously because this was Paul's consciousness in Andreas's body. So doctors around him said they couldn't understand what was going on. They couldn't, they, they, they could not grasp it with the medical technology of the time. They diagnosed him with a condition that they called consciousness slide. And so that was a condition where a person is aware of what's going on around them, but they live in a different time period. And obviously, you know, if the guy's from the 1920s and he's in the year 3906. That's quite a time jump. So the people around him made an effort to kind of get him up to speed. And so he learned about the world around him for this year while he was, was trapped in Andreas's body. I mean, seriously, that, that would be very frightening, scary. I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a, like I said, that's a huge time jump difference. Just the difference in history, what you're going to be seeing inventions and creations that literally. I mean, you wouldn't would be able to comprehend below. them. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't be able to wrap your mind around them. So, so Dinoch tells the story of, of the future in this diary. He starts recording these events after he comes out of his coma. He talks about a world ravaged by overpopulation, ecological destruction, and war. But eventually, humanity is able to create a, a perfect utopian society. We're able to put all these things behind us and, and embrace all these things that we, you know, the environmental destruction and all that. We've we put it all behind from our us. Mistakes. Which, you know, hopefully that gives us There hope. might be hope for us. He, he wrote that in the between the years of 2000 and 2300, those would be the worst for humanity. And I got to admit, we're not off to a great start. Yeah. Uh, overpopulation, famine, regional conflict, ecological disaster, all these things would just take a toll on humanity. What would be most remembered is, is what he called a bitter nuclear arms race between the nations of the time, which would actually include the usage of nuclear weapons in, in war. And, uh, because of this nuclear weapons usage, eventually there wouldn't be enough food for everyone to survive. So in the heart of all of this, Mars would eventually be colonized by the year 2100, which again, seems like we may be on track for that. Uh, as many as 20 million people would live and prosper there for a while. For, a, for while. a while. A great natural cataclysm of undefined nature would kill all the colonists on Mars in the year 2265. And we would never again attempt to colonize the red planet. That would be our last. So we go forth, we, we, we fight all the battles, the technology, we get to Mars, we establish a colony and some natural you know, cataclysm, yeah. giant asteroid hits it a couple or whatever. hundred years later. Just, yeah. 
So mankind enters into a devastating global war in the year 2309, and just chaos and and violence would dominate us for the next 80 years. There'd be a massive loss of life, infrastructure worldwide. I mean, basically, I mean, from the sounds of what I read, it was almost like a reset for us. End of game. Basically just wipe ourselves out. In 2396, the world leaders would unite and create a one-world government. The leaders would no longer be politicians. Our, we would select our leaders from the educated and the decent of us. The decent of us? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to... I'll, I'll take a stance right here politically <laughs> and say decency and politics don't go hand in hand yeah, anymore. Yeah, amen. But we would learn. We would learn from our mistakes. We would learn the dangers of overpopulation. We would control the growth of humanity. Uh, by 2600, we would have reached a period of utopian happiness. Mankind enters into a new golden age, if you will. Uh, our cities are built across various galaxies. Science advances by leaps and bounds. We become a post-scarcity society at that point, Eric, which is something, honestly, I think we could achieve if we really wanted to. Yeah. Yep. But everyone gets what they li- need to live and survive. Yep. You know, you're provided with clothes, food, housing, transportation, education, the products you need to survive, the inter- and even entertainment. You know, these, these things, I mean, I mean, they're just provided to you so that you can live your life. Uh, humans only have to spend two years of their lifetime working. Wow. Yeah. Uh, now, obviously, if you're only working two years of your whole life, this allows for creative and scientific pursuits no and doubt. achievements un- undreamed of now because – Again, we're not toiling away. Our artists aren't forced to toil away in a factory. I was going to say it's almost a total opposite that you work your entire life and, and hopefully get two years yeah. that you don't have to work in your, in your lifetime to enjoy. Animals are no longer slaughtered or domesticated. Plant-based food becomes the norm. I don't know how I feel about that. I do yeah, like a good steak. I like a steak on, on the grill. And somewhere around the 3300s, a spiritual renaissance, a, a spiritual golden age for humanity begins. Uh, we become more in tune with our inner self become comfortable with who we are and we no longer measure success by our material possessions but instead it is about how much you are able to better the lives of others that you are judged wow and and honestly i'm buying what you're selling you know if i could jump to 30 stakes well yeah if i could jump up to (laughs) 3906 i mean even at this point in my life i've worked for two years i mean way too many years i'll knock off the two years yeah done done deal So Dinoch, he, he documents this in, the, in his diary after he recovers from his coma. And he just, I, I mean, from the sounds of it, he doesn't tell anybody. He records his experience and he goes on. Now, again, I said he was a teacher living in Geneva. So Dinoch eventually leaves his diary to a student of his, a, a Greek student named George. And again, Greek name, Papahatzis. Now, he gives it to him with the idea that George is going to improve his German. So he says, take my journal, translate it from German to Greek. It will give you a better understanding of German. Makes sense. Uh, George immediately realizes that this is, an, <laughs> this is a story that is worth hearing. Uh, he, he realizes what he's got. So he, he does indeed translate the, the diary, but he publishes it in, in, in 1979. It gets published and is immediately dismissed by the world as a whole as a hoax. Right. Uh, again, so it's kind of like when you, you see something you don't understand, you hear something, we, we just shoot it. Well, like, so yeah, if you come up with something and you publish it and just nobody believes yeah. it. Well, like with Bielik, you know, we talked about Bielik talking about the future and environmental and all that and how his map of the future resembled a map that, I, that we had seen of, mm-hmm. of climate change. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, you look at 
Dinox story here and, and the time period that we're in that he Follow described, it, it's not hard to believe that, you know, we're, we're heading down that path. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I guess the only hope is, or the, the bright side of it is, you know, a couple thousand years from now, maybe we'll get it together and figure it out, <laughs> but seems like there's going to be some, some dark days ahead before we get to the, the golden age. Very interesting. Very interesting. But yeah, again, you know, this guy, we talked about a consciousness slide when we talked about the Philadelphia experiment. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that something? I mean, we, we've talked about how mankind is part of a global consciousness and, and we're not aware of it. That is one theory that's out there. Yeah, I mean, are we just we, kind of in a big Petri dish and, well, yeah, and being observed and, and, and studied? And are we connected across time as, as well as distance? Well, I'm going to flash back more into the John Teeter. Now, John Teeter, again, like I said, he was sharing stuff on the internet, various different forum boards. Um, we talked about this uh, APL programming language that was truly at the heart of John Teeter's mission while he was here. When he was connected with the internet in the year 2000, using this language, to he, he leaves his messages. Here's one of the first entries. I am a time traveler from the year 2036. Great opening line just to post on the internet. I am a time traveler from the year 2036. I am on my way home after getting an IBM 5100 computer system from the year 1975. My time machine, in quotes, is a stationary mass temporal displacement unit. It was manufactured by General Electric. This unit is powered by two topspin dual positive singularities that produce a standard offset tipular sinusoid. That's a lot of words. That makes perfect sense, right? Uh, Yeah, I can envision (laughs) it right now. I know exactly what he's saying. In later posts he would make, um, he he says, well, if photo uploading was allowed, keep in mind, early internet, that, that wasn't really a new thing yet. He said, I wish I could share pictures from the future, but obviously I, you know, I didn't, I didn't take those. But later on, he does share pictures of his time machine from this time on the internet. You can find those as well as a number of sketches that very detailed sketches that he has made. He also claims that he had mounted his time machine, get this, in a 1967 Chevy (laughs) rather than a DeLorean from a very popular sci-fi movie. That's, that's my part in there. He didn't say that. But let us not forget, truthfully, that history often inspires art, and sometimes art inspires history. Such things like flip phones, referring back to the old Star Trek days TV show. Their you know, walkie-talkie communicators was that flip phone. Some kid that watched Star Trek, I guarantee you, helped design the first flip phones, and that's exactly where that inspiration come. Or more recently, the creation of such things as Space Force. Uh, so, I mean, you know, that, that goes on. Now, John was quick to share a lot of great details uh, with anyone who would lend him an ear to listen. Uh, As I stated, including some photographs not only of his own internal workings of a time machine, but also detailed plans and sketches. These have not been disproved, even today, by many scientists. Uh, As a matter of fact, some of these sketches uh, have become great focal points of interest for several scientists and inventors. He has also predicted many successful pieces of what is now history 20 years before he had left our time frame. So here we've got future predictions coming up. But correct me if I'm wrong, and, and this may be something you get to later. I believe he predicted like a nuclear war that has not happened. Not happened. And was supposed to happen already. That is correct. And yeah. he has explanations for this. Okay, okay. I, I remember seeing, uh, okay, I, I knew you were going to do John Titor. Teeter, 
And so I didn't dig into it too much, and, and I kind of got derailed with the ones that I was looking at. Right. But I do remember seeing that much that I was like, okay. Yep. And again, I didn't dig into it much, so when I saw that, I was like, well, who knows? Well, and as we were talking a little bit around the table before we got to the recording studio, you know, obviously we present these stories. We're not saying they're factual. There's probably more, way more disbelief, like in this story or truthfully any time travel story than what there is belief. But sometimes the, the weird facts that add up, you know, not everything's going to be right on T and John Teeter is no exception. Some predictions he, he totally missed. But here, here's just a few examples, and you got to kind of lean into it and use your imagination. I'll be the first to say. Okay, so is this like the Nostradamus prophecies where you kind of exactly. got to interpret a little? You hit it on the nose, yes. Okay, number one. He explained in some of his posts that many black holes play a major part in time travel and would be later discovered by a company he, he or a, a unit he calls CERN. Now, CERN is legit. Uh, it's derived from uh, the French word. Uh, it's, it's essentially the Council for European Research for Nuclear Power, you know, kind of thing. They uh, uh, they own the the Hadron Collider, right? Yes, that's their project. That's, that's the same same group. Uh, so he says many black holes. He he drops name drops CERN. Uh, number two, he goes on and he go, he actually argues with Stephen Hawking regarding his current beliefs about time travel, and that many black holes could even exist. Now, John wrote on the internet addressing Stephen Hawking, saying at that time Stephen was like, many black holes don't exist. We, we couldn't contain them. It's just, no, not going to happen. So John addresses the internet, and he goes, yes, that is true, addressing Hawkins' denial. If you firmly believe that radiation cannot be controlled or goes on even without the presence of virtual particles forever until the singularity explodes, and then in that very instance, only then are you right. <laughs> now, not to debunk. Please, go ahead. I've been watching some Star Trek lately. There's an episode of, of Star Trek Enterprise where the Vulcan in, in, is talking, and they're referencing what they call micro-singularities, mm -hmm, yes. which would be a tiny black hole. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And that we as Terrans, people of Earth, did not believe in them, but that the that we we theorized they existed, but the Vulcans themselves refused to believe they existed. And then, of course, since it's Star Trek, at some point in the episode, obviously they exist, and it challenges the belief system of the Vulcan. But I'm I'm like that kind of sounded familiar, but yeah. I know Enterprise would have been on TV way after this guy was was doing his thing. Yes, so it's not. I mean, maybe he inspired Enterprise, but he, he definitely wasn't stealing from them. Art inspires history. History inspires art. Now, number three, uh, next, Teeter posts a very strange question back in 2000. Now, I'll be honest, this one still confuses me, and it baffled many. It was simply the post was, care to share with me how you solve the overheating problem on your space plane? Just out of the blue. That was the sentence. Care to share with me how you solve the overheating problem on your space plane? So again, I'll... Bear with me. We're going to take a lot of curves here. Maybe that becomes clearer four years later in 2004 when the Columbia Space Shuttle incident caused a piece of space heat insulation becoming loose and falling off I was, yeah, with the I big was, destruction. When you said that, I was thinking of that. Space plane? I remember watching that on the news that day. And yeah, it was one piece of, of insulating material that had gotten dislodged. So. 
So his question was, you know, care to share with me how you solved the overheating problem on your space plane? That, that was a weird sentence. Uh, number four, there, um, then there's the prediction that seemed to be fulfilled uh, when he stated in one of his predictions that the Olympics would be canceled. As we know, in 2020, due to the pandemic, Tokyo canceled the Olympics. Number five, also including election voting hacked altered fraud. Okay, yeah, I mean, pick your election. Uh, we've, we've had it a couple let's times. Say, let's be careful now. We don't, I know, we don't like I, I, I don't politics. like to go into politics, but, you know, again, we're, we're theorizing here. Number six, granted his exact times may seem to be off a bit, you know, with the whole Olympics thing. He didn't say in the year 2020 the Olympics will be canceled or anything. Maybe the space shuttle was the space plane, but what he predicted in 2004, actually kind of came closer to 2020. Now, to your point, he did state a year. Obviously, he missed it. He talks about the Great War. His mother talks to him about some of this, and I can almost envision this fly on the wall. You know, mom sits down next to the adult version of her son. Now, son, you're posting all this stuff out there. You know, people are going to be judging you. You're, you're saying dates. Those dates have come and gone, hon. You know, think about what you're doing. And, you know, John kind of turns and he says, I came back to make a change to help his mom and dad, which he later goes on to say his grandfather, his father's father, asked him, please go into the future and help your mom and dad, especially through the Y2K 2000 stuff. They believed that a great war would come, almost a utopian thing that you you described in your story. And he taught them how to grow gardens and food, and in new technology ways of stacking plants and minimizing space. We're doing that today. Yeah, I was going to say I literally saw a headline just the other day that was talking about how vertical gardening is going to exactly. be the wave of the future. He was teaching his parents how to do that. That wasn't a thing back then. So there, there, there's a lot of weird stuff there. He did, number seven, he did warn of this great civil war coming and that some may say, you know, we're not far away from it. He also states that, you know, it was often the predictions of the great war that he said was going to happen in 2015, allegedly between Russia and America. And flash forward to today with some of the stuff that's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Russia's always been the great enemy, though, for America ever since the, you know, Cold he, War era. He also mentions the nuclear warfare, which you do. And, and let's face it, I mean, that's a real fear at, at any given time point uh, at one in point, war. Putin was actually throwing that word around quite a bit yes. at the beginning of this. Yes. So. Now, of course, we have everything we're going on, you know, with, with today's stuff and Ukraine and, and all of that. But John explained this was quantum mechanics, starting the events he knew that took place in his timeline before he went back to 1975, acquired the computer, came forward to meet his parents, and he said some of those are going to have slight differences. And not, he wasn't a believer that he could really change time. There wasn't like if you lived or met yourself, it was going to be the catastrophic end of the world. He definitely did not believe in that. He actually kind of scoffs at that. But he said when you are traveling at multiple different times, Things aren't always going to line up. That's kind of the way he, you know, he kind of blew it off that, you know, don't hold me exactly true to these dates because that's what was true in the time frame I came from. And it may have totally strayed off, you know, through the different time jumps, travels, planes, however you want to put it. 
Now, John Teeter did warn us of an impending civil and nuclear war. This was kind of at his heart of the belief, besides the whole Y2K thing, that he needed to help prepare his parents to survive through. Now, there is also a book out called The uh, Chrononaut uh, by a gentleman by the name of Chris J. Simpson. In his belief, as, as well as others, get ready for this, aliens are actually just highly developed human time travelers. They're not celestial from other planets or galaxies at all. And their spaceships or UFOs are nothing more than their time travel machines. Now, John Teeter was once asked about aliens in the future, because surely if we go to 2036, you know, aliens have finally set and colonized here on Earth and all that. And he states something very similar. He goes, in his quote, while still not fully understood, we believe aliens are possibly nothing more than humans who far surpass our own knowledge of time travel. Interesting. Kind of mind-blowing. Now I have to kind of tie back into to Stephen Hawking. He replied once and he said, time travelers, don't you think if they existed, we would know about them by now? Stop and consider. Just for a moment, what if they have? And they've tried to communicate with us and leave us signs and we blow them off. Well, it kind of goes, uh, again, if they're so scientifically advanced, yeah, maybe we don't realize. I mean, it's, it's above our comprehension. So what, I mean, we, we associate it with aliens and alien technology. So fast forward four years, Mr. Stephen Hawking's comes forward and retracts his earlier disbeliefs of micro black holes existing. And he's totally changed his mind about those matching John Teeter's obvious argument that they had had. Another little aside here. This is probably one of my, my more favorite anecdotes. I really, really liked this one. I'm familiar with it before, but I got reacquainted with it when I was doing the, my research here. It's 1935, and Sir Victor Goddard is flying from Andover to Edinburgh. I mean, he's, I love he's, this story. He's a pilot. He's made this trip more than once. He's familiar with the path. As he's flying to Edinburgh, he passes over an abandoned airfield in Drim, Scotland. The airfield's been abandoned for so long that it's basically been reclaimed by nature. It's a little more than totally a farm at this point. Totally grown up, yes. A few days later, he begins his trip back to Andover using the same route that he had used before, flying the same territory, same thing. He'd seen it all before. Right. Um, right before he gets to where Drim Airfield would be, he flies through these, a, a storm, a, a storm as he described it, a strange storm. Uh, now, along with high winds and heavy rains, he noted that the clouds were yellow. Ooh. So it was very, very strange. Uh, he became disoriented. His, his instruments were not reading correctly at one point, and he began to lose control of his plane. Uh, he tried to climb out of the clouds to get above the storm, thinking that would help him, but it seemed as if there was no ceiling to this storm. It just went on endlessly, apparently. So at a certain point, he begins to fall. His plane just starts to drop out of the sky, and when he punches through the bottom of the cloud cover, he sees Drew Matterfield. Now, as he approaches, he begins to notice a few things. Number one, the storm disappears. The sky becomes clear, becomes sunny. Everything is clearly illuminated. He can see clearly Drim Airfield. Drim Airfield is there, but it is no longer abandoned. It looks as if it's been newly rebuilt, remodeled. It's It's been, you know, like restored. The, the cows are gone. The yeah. grass and weeds are removed. Yeah, and the airfield is, is repaired. Now he can see mechanics out on the runway. He sees four planes uh, uh, parked along the runway. Now these uh, planes are painted yellow. And at this point in time, there are no RAF planes that are painted yellow. He also uh, notices that one of the planes is a model he's never seen before. 
and it never, I mean, it's ne- he's never encountered this plane. He's never seen it documented, never seen a picture of it. He doesn't recognize it in any way, shape, or form. The mechanics are all in blue overalls. Now, at that point in time, RAF regulation mechanics wore brown overalls in 1935. Now, he gets control of his plane again. He's flying, mind you, so he's moving at a good, brisk pace. He flies quickly over the field. He barely has time to process what he's seen, but he knows it's all wrong. As he passes over Drim Airfield, he returns to this storm all of a sudden. Now, again, it's nice and clear and sunny. No storm around as he's flying like over. flipping a switch. As he flies over, he gets back into this storm. Well, this time he manages to maintain control. He comes out the other side of the storm. He flies home and he lands his plane. And he's immediately like, oh, my God, you're not going to believe what this, what, what I saw. And he starts telling people. And, of course, they do not believe him. They're like, this is ridiculous, man. You're making right, this up. Right. Now, by 1939, Eric, what do you think happens? What do you? What do you Comes full circle. By 1939, Drim Airfield was reclaimed, restored to its original usage and intent. We now have yellow planes. We do have yellow planes. RAF training planes begin being painted yellow in the year 1939. We have the correct cover, a color of coveralls. 1939, the RAF changes mechanics overalls from brown to blue. What? The plane that he saw on the runway that he didn't recognize joins the RAF service in 1939. So it matches what he saw. Straight up Twilight Zone. Drim Airfield in 1939 looked exactly the way he saw it in 1935. But in 1935, it was essentially abandoned. Uh, it, was, it was completely abandoned and essentially a farm. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, again, this was one of my favorite stories, and I remembered it from years ago. I, I mean, obviously, he came forward. He tried to tell people these details, so that's documented. I believe he even did like some sketches, if I, if memory serves me correct. I, I didn't see that, but that doesn't mean he did. But so, I mean, we have this documentation, regardless sketches, word of mouth, recording, whatever. Everybody scoffs at him and it's like, well, that's not right. We don't have the yellow planes there. We don't, that's not the right color coveralls. And then boom. Yeah. Four years later. Four years later, prediction true. So that's, that's, I mean, yeah, this guy just kind of slid out of time or whatever. I mean, again, the, the dynamics of time travel. I like that in these, these couple, these first two stories I've related that it's sort of unexpected and, and a surprise when it happened. Like, oh my yeah, God. Almost like accidental. Oops. What yeah, did I fall but, through? But this one I, I really liked because. It's documented, and they have his original story that he told in 1935, and then, you know, four years later, at, at all the, the things he saw came to pass. At the very least, that was a prediction of yeah. the future that came clue, you know, came true. Well, going into this book that I had acquired, there's actually many letters from John Teeter's mother, uh, and I'd like to kind of touch upon some of those. This kind of gives you that motherly insight that I was saying, a fly on the wall, if you could understood. Now, this particular letter is from 2003. She states in this letter from 2003 that uh, in 1998, this 38-year-old man approaches their front door and knocked on it. Upon answering the door, the man explained he was, in fact, our younger son from the future. He made a promise to her husband, John Teeter's father, that he would return from the future to aid the parents, as I'd said, in the whole Y2K bug as well as other things. She stated at that same time that John stayed with them for nearly three years through that whole Y2K, which she tried to explain to him didn't take place, at least to to the degree that they thought it would. She said, however, the coming months after that, that John started spending great deals of time researching on the computer and asked to borrow his dad's computer, and more importantly, the, the internet being new, and that he seemed more troubled and worried that the Y2K bug 
didn't happen like he predicted. She said that this really kind of struck him hard when she would try to ask him about it. Uh, He didn't get into a lot of details. Again, he just kind of described it. Well, that was the history. That was the timeline that I came from. Now, if he can go back and influence, it means other people can too. Well, yeah, yeah. And any technology could be used for good or for evil. And 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 who's to say there wasn't someone else? Yeah, I mean, and and okay, maybe avoiding the Y two K thing the way we expected it to happen, which a lot of us, I mean, we legit it was lived a in real fear thing. Yeah, that the banks were going to run out of money and planes were going to fall yep. out of the sky. It was a real, real thing. So maybe somebody else went back and changed that, and that's why he was so concerned because in his history. Again, being linear, let's say using the Avengers model, you can't go back and change your own history. You can just change, you know, that timeline basically. And, and people have described it as like throwing a small stone into a, a pond. You know, you, once the riffles start, it just, it grows exponentially. Now, regardless of his statements, he dove more and more into the internet. And that's when he really started reaching out to anyone that would listen. But she said that definitely was a turning point in the near three years that he lived with them. Now, she says uh, in this book, which, by the way, the name of the book is John Teeter, A Time Traveler's Tale. It was actually published in 2001, so it's not an old book by any means. And this is the book that I was just lucky enough to happen to obtain. Uh, It reads, if John was trying to get some other message out, I hope that this book will further those ends for me, my husband, and our young son, it is over. This is in her letter that is actually included in the book. So to me, that kind of tells you she's not a disbeliever. She's like, whatever it was that, you know, adult John was trying to prove, he, he was cautious to some degree about how much he wanted to share. Uh, he was open, but there were some things when you would ask, especially the mom or the dad, he would say, there's just too much going on. And without all the history, you're not going to comprehend it. He made several posts even on on the forums when people would ask, you know, explain to me what the year 2036 is like. And and he actually says, well, you know, I'm happy to, but without the context and all the history of how we get from point A to point B, I highly doubt it's really going to help a whole lot. I kind of get that to your utopia story you were talking about. I mean, that's what I would like to think most of us all dream about, but we're a long ways away from that. Time, as we perceive it, is linear. And again, like like you said, you know, without understanding how we get from A to B, you know, you don't understand the context. He could explain the world as it is, and we could just be like, well, that's bullcrap. You know, you're making yeah. that up. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And and maybe, maybe he was making it all up. Who knows? Maybe he was, or yeah, maybe somebody else was. Now, it is said that John was very... I'll use the word oddly comfortable with trusting people, especially online, to talk about his work in time travel after this Y2K event. Um, He believed he knew enough about technology. This is from his mother stating this. He believed he knew enough about technology that he could avoid detection from those wishing to hunt him down and quote unquote, and often use many different alias names or surnames that he made posts with that may not have been discovered yet to identify that was actually John Teeter. So there may be more out there that's just not signed John Teeter, but obviously she's wanting to believe here. There's a, there's a part of her that, you know, it's like, I'm not real sure what he was up to. I think he may have maybe in, embedded some, 
secret keys to be uncovered. I hope the publication of this book, and here's all my letters, maybe it'll mean something to somebody somewhere at some time, and it will, it'll help. Because I feel guilty enough that I need to get this off my chest, but then we're walking away and we're done with it. I, we, we've got to move on. He also assured his parents that they would be safe, and that was the main reason he came back to help and protect them. Even after he leaves back to the future, they would be safe. Now we go back to John's first post, um, and he says, I was about to give up hope that anyone knew Tipler or Kerr was even on this world line, and I think he's referring to the internet, the world line. The basics of time travel began, began with CERN, in about the year 2001 and ends abruptly in 2034 with the building of the very first time machine. Too bad I can't post those pictures. I wish I had them to share them with you. As we had talked, CERN was actually a part of a convention that formed back in September 29th of 1954. As we stated, CERN is a European organization for nuclear research. It should also be noted that CERN did make the world aware in the fall of 2001, exactly the year he stated, they were starting to develop a version of a black hole in their laboratory to do research. Could that be what Teeter was referring to in his first post? John's mother goes on to say, John arrived in the summer of 1998, spending this time with us. During that time frame, I only saw his time machine once. He was quite secretive of it. She describes it as being black and almost a living matter that was constantly moving or shaking, making her feel very uncomfortable and even nauseous. Have you ever seen ferrofluid, magnetic fluid? Oh, yes. When it's exposed to a magnet and yes. it kind of moves and yeah. spikes and yeah. whatnot. That kind of sounds like that because it's always black when you see it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm wondering... If, if that's that makes maybe sense. part of that. I, I mean, I'm definitely, I'm drawn into that. And it's like, this is straight up out of a sci-fi, you know, movie or, or something. In, in some of the research papers that the family uh, had um, that they brought to this lawyer in Nebraska, John Teeter explained some of the things that would be needed for time travel, very specifically. Number one, a magnetic housing unit for dual micro singularities. Number two. Electron injection manifold to be able to alter the mass and gravity of the micro-singularities. Number three, cooling and x-ray venting system. Number four, gravity sensors that he refers to as VGL systems. Number five, four cesium unit main clocks. And lastly, number six, three main computer units. It sounds like a recipe. I'm not exactly sure for what we're baking up here, but... Uh, pretty specific. And in one of these conversations found online, a person actually asked John Teeter, can, can you meet yourself on another world line? And if so, what happens? You know, we've, we've kind of touched on this. And John responds, it always surprises me how hard it is for you people to grasp and understand this. Nothing would happen. It has occurred with me twice. Once when I met myself on a training mission and the second is right now. I'm living with my young child self under the same roof. Well, abandoning the idea of the doppelganger, which is obviously you, you see a double of yourself and then it seems preoccupied with murdering you. <laughs> it makes sense, right? I mean, you're still physical matter. The fact that you... It doesn't change it. Yeah, it doesn't change anything. I mean, part of the argument that I've seen in, in pseudoscience or sci-fi is that, you know, the same matter can't exist at the same time in the same place or whatever. 
but you're not coexisting in the same place as your old self. You just coexist in the same. I think it's your grasp, your, your concept of yeah. it. Uh, if you went back and you saw your grandfather die in front of you, yeah, does that mean that you don't exist? Because obviously your grandfather died. Well, and, it, and again, um, the fact that you exist means you exist. You exist. So again, kind of an Avengers-esque timeline. You could change things in the past, but that doesn't alter the timeline you came from. Exactly. It just alters the timeline that you're now living in. And that's exactly what John Teeter is saying. He goes, the universe does not end. There is no paradox. There's no problems with this. It is explained like that of, in his words, many different highways that from time to time may cross or merge. Doesn't affect. Life goes on. In one of the other conversations found online, a person asked John Teeter, can you tell us about the year 2036 in the future? And I briefly touched upon this. John responds, and I quote, I can, but I really doubt it would do most any good because so much has changed. It would not be understood without knowing all the history. It is a more peaceful place due greatly to the great war that occurs in the year 2015, which as we talked about, it didn't really happen. But he states where nearly three billion people were killed. Those that survived, we all pulled closer together, living together in harmony, growing our own food and becoming self-supportive. There are no more large chain stores. You make and you grow everything you need or you trade within groups for those other things that you can't provide yourself. John Teeter's mom does state that during this time, he stayed with them that John refused to eat anything that he could not personally see where it came from. This caused us, with his help, to grow much of our own food in the gardens, which we touched upon, you know, the different gardening styles, and that John directed us in building and maximizing of space. He taught us things that we never would have dreamed of. The problem, that great war, 2015, didn't happen. Well, either time was erased, altered. Now, some would argue there is the Yamani Civil War that started uh, about actually that time frame. Still going on today. Uh, it's over in the near Yemen, near Saudi Arabia. But obviously, it's not even reached any level of that destruction of 3 billion people and the mass death predicted by Teeter. Or at least not yet. But again, we're so far advanced. So we're so far beyond that date. It's it's hard to buy into that one. So the year is early 1995. To date myself, that would be roughly the time I'm getting ready to graduate high school. And the man's name is Mike Madman Markham. Love that name. Rolls off the tongue nicely. When when you see his picture on the internet, we you could have gone to school with this guy. You know what I mean? Like I literally had to do like a double take and kind of look at it for a moment. So I have could I have gone to school guy? with this dude. <laughs> uh, now to make it even better, we bring it home. This is from Stanbury, Missouri, is where this story starts. Good old Missouri hometown. So I thought Not this hometown. would be home state. Yeah, so this would be kind of a good place to kind of wrap things up a little bit. Madman Markham here, and again, yeah, I agree with you. I like the that name. rolls nicely. Uh, he's a 21 year old student majoring in electricity, and by all standards, said to be quite intelligent when compared to the people around him. Markham tries to build a time machine on the f- porch of his home. On the front porch or back porch? Does well, it say? I mean, maybe, well, we'll say front porch. Welcome I to Missouri. But yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, why you say this mad madman Markham want to build a time machine? I mean, he admits to it. 
He's attempting to get the winning lottery numbers of the future. <laughs> if you're going to build a time machine in Missouri, that's what you're going to do. I can appreciate honesty. So he begins to build a device that he calls a Jacob's Ladder. Part of it uses a modified CD to help focus the electricity or something along those lines. Again, I'm not a physicist, and, and even if this was real, I wouldn't have understood it anyway. <laughs> and and again, I don't want to say it's not real. I don't know. I'm just right. presenting the story, but yeah. I don't really, I, I didn't understand it enough to be able to, to elaborate on that. I just know it used a modified CD as part of the process. And I noticed when using this CD and running the current through it, it would create like the heat shimmer you see when you drive down the road. It would create something mm-hmm. like that. Only when you looked through it, it was like a vortex and you could see the other side. Ooh. There was something there. Okay. Uh, of course, it's very, very small. You're talking about focusing through a CD here. So he took an opportunity. He, he, he was, why not? He takes a small screw and he throws it through the vortex. The screw disappears when it hits the vortex and then reappears a short time later, a few feet away. Now we are talking a like music CD. Yeah. And the small hole in the I'm, middle I'm not of saying that? necessarily that he's focusing through the hole. Again, I don't understand how it works. Or I just know yeah, that I'm just it's trying to vision, Are we talking like, you know, the little, let's say one inch hole in the center. Are we talking about the whole CD? I, I, I don't, I don't, don't know. know. Okay. I couldn't, I couldn't, okay. ex- again, there were diagrams and all that, but they were kind of over my head. I got you. I got you. So after multiple tests, the CD catches fire due to the amount of electricity being used. It's clearly not the right focus. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You got to focus the energy for your time machine. So Madman does what a man named Madman is going to do. <laughs> he wants to buy Transformers, but he doesn't have the money. And I don't mean the little toys that transform. I mean big giant power transformers. Transformers more than meets the eye. <laughs> he goes and he steals six 300 plus pound Transformers. From the St. Joseph Light and Power Station in King Hold City, on, this Missouri. this totally sounds like Missouri. This is yeah. Yeah, straight up stealing-like stuff. Well, yeah, again. <laughs> so he starts testing using these transformers, and he causes blackouts for several blocks around his nice. home. Nice. Yeah, I mean, obviously, he just wasn't prepared for that kind of power. <laughs> so after causing blackouts, like within mere moments, he's arrested by the local sheriff, sheriff's, by the local sheriff's department. Uh, this is January 29th, 1995. 95? So I mean, that, that's relatively recent, yeah. So he's released several months later, and at that point in time, he's invited to be a guest on Coast to Coast, Coast AM to with Coast. Art Bell. Love that show. Uh, so he tells the story of, of tossing the screw through the little vortex, and he tells Art that he intends to continue with his experiments, albeit legally now. <laughs> he's learned his lesson. He spent some time in jail. I'm being nationally broadcasted, I'm going to state legally now. Yeah. Obviously, he doesn't have the money to get the parts he needs, uh, so he, he gives out his phone number during the interview, which, if you know, this seems like a bad idea. <laughs> he receives calls around the clock for the next three to four days, people sharing their advice, people sharing their knowledge, people making donations to the cause. Love it. So eventually, he takes all this help, he takes the donations, he builds a more powerful version of the original design. The original Power output was measured with kilowatts. The new one is designed for three megawatts. Oof. So again, pretty powerful machine. He installs, and again, I'm going to use some technology, but he installs a rotating magnetic field similar to that used in the field in the Philadelphia experiment. So, you know, going back to the Philadelphia experiment and its potential for time travel. Mm-hmm. One year later, he is again a guest on Art Bell. He claimed at that point he was experimenting with a more advanced version of his previous time machine. Uh, this time, he said that he had finally gotten the vortex big enough for a man to walk through. Now, there were stories that he'd 
Stories that he had made a version big enough to put a cat through. Uh, he he said that those those Come here, that, kitty, that did kitty. not happen. Come here, kitty, kitty. He denied that he'd ever done that. When asked what he was going to take with him, he told Art Bell, only my cell phone. No. Only my cell phone. So, Did he think he was going to get good reception? <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the conversation, as he kind of wrapped up, he said he was only 30 days away from completing his experiment. This would be 1997. Now, according to legend here, Mike was never heard from again. Now, not too long after, a caller calls into the Art Bell show and says, look, I've got a strange, possibly related story. Uh, I don't remember. They said as a family member or somebody they knew, but in the 1930s, police found a dead man on a California beach. 1930s. He had been crushed to death in a strange metal tube. Inside, Inside. obviously. The body was unrecognizable. No, no way to, 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 I mean, you could tell it was a person and that was about it. So I don't want to get too gruesome. Yeah. Yeah. Not a lot left. Probably a mysterious device was found in the sand next to the body. Dun, dun, dun. The device's description in the police report matches that of a mid nineties era cell phone. Wow. Did madman teleport to the 1930s and kill himself in the process? Get poor cell phone reception. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, what was your cell phone reception going to be in the third? If your phone worked, that would be the cell plan I want. Oh, my gosh, Mine yes. is very spotty sometimes. So, yeah, I mean. That's wild. And again, like I said, to look at this guy, you, I mean, any of us could have gone to school with him. I mean, he looked, like, he looked so, he looked familiar to me looking at the picture. Like, I, <laughs> that, I, was, that simple I may Joe, have gone to school with Joe this Blow guy. face, yeah. And he. Did, did he did he build a time machine? Did he did he teleport himself to the 1930s only to end up dead? Imagine, I mean, seriously, I, and I'm I'm not trying to make a light of this, but this guy, struggling guy from Missouri, he's trying. He, he comes up with this crazy harebrained idea. Let's say it's all true, and and he gets it to work, only to be crushed to death in a pipe. I mean, well, I would I would assume that was part of the process. I don't know wow. that, that it, you know what I mean. Maybe it was. I've maybe worked it wasn't. so hard for this. In thirty days, I'm going to crush myself in a pipe and throw my cell phone out on a beach in the 1930s. Wow. Well, I'm going to wrap up with uh, the last little John Teeter tidbit. Uh, his last post was in 2001. It simply stated, "I will be leaving this world line shortly, and this will be my final post. I have found your choice of topics quite interesting, and from an objective viewpoint." I think it collectively answers one of your own questions. If time travel is real, where are all the time travelers? In 2009, the story got revived a bit by accusations that a man by the name of Larry Haber, a Florida entertainment lawyer and CEO of the foundation known as the John Teeter Foundation. It was reported that Larry Haber and his brother, Maury Haber, who was a computer scientist, may have very likely been the men behind the John Teeter story that they introduced in 1998. Should also be told that the name John Teeter is a registered trademark with the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Seems a little odd. Is it real? Is it a hoax? Is it like most stories with possibly a seed of truth? Or is it possible denial? That we have had and do have time travelers that walk among us, but we just simply choose to scoff and blow them off. We'll leave that up to our listeners to decide. We hope you've enjoyed yet another adventure on Nightmares on the Lost Highway. Thanks y'all for listening. 
would like to give a shout out to our first uh, paying sponsor, Raven's Loft. That's our family shop here located in uh, Lebanon, Missouri. It's your one-stop gaming, vintage toy, and collectible shop where you can find Star Wars, Transformers, G.I. Joe, comics, vinyl records, role-play gaming, Magic the Gathering, and so much more. We're located here at 223 West Commercial, downtown Lebanon, and also in our second location, uh, also here in Lebanon, at the Heartland Antique Mall. We'd like to thank Ravensloft for, again, supporting Nightmares on the Lost Highway. I want to take a time to thank the people that helped bring this all together. Uh, Alex Tudor, you can almost call him our producer at this point. Sarah Tudor, who also helps with some of the technical stuff. I want to take a moment to extend thanks to Eric for letting us use his space to record in kind of our makeshift studio. I, in turn, would like to thank Bill for, one, putting up with me and uh, using this camaraderie to do something we both very much love and enjoy doing. And thank Bill's family for allowing him to spend all the time to work and clean up our recordings and present them in what uh, you hear in the final uh, terms, uh, the final edition, if you will. Um, and I'd like to thank all of you for continuing to, to listen. I know we've got some loyal followers out there. We do this as a labor of love, but we're, we're happy that there are people that enjoy it as, hopefully as much as we do. Thank you very much.